bit different in that when I wrote it, I wrote it somewhat like a book or maybe a short play. And so I'm going to read you about the first two-thirds of this. And then we'll get back to the application of the message. Dateline, Thursday, April 5th, 33 A.D., 5.45 a.m. The sun pushes its way up over the eastern horizon as the great city wakes up. Merchants roll off their hard mattresses. Animals begin to stir. Here and there, a stray dog barks. Slowly, the mists of the night leave, and within minutes, almost everyone is awake. It's going to be another hot day in Jerusalem. In the southwest corner of the city, a great palace slowly comes to life. It is the palace of Caiaphas, high priest of the Jews. In that house, Caiaphas dons his priestly robes. He feels better today than he has in many weeks, and well he should. Today was the last of the preparation days for the Passover. Already the city was jammed to capacity with tourists, pilgrims, and throngs of Jews from every part of the land. As he put on the last part of his robes, this was his 15th Passover, and though he knew the routine by heart, he never tired of it. After all, even lasting this long as high priest was extraordinary. Before him there had been three high priests in as many years, small men coming and going before you knew who they were but not Caiaphas. Somehow he always managed to stay in power. He was the consummate politician who knew how to keep the Romans happy by keeping the radical Jewish element in check. He knew how to work the angles. He knew the Torah. He could be eloquent when he needed to be, and he knew how to work a crowd. Like many leaders who stay in power a long time, his primary gift was expediency. He could cut a deal when it served his purposes. 8 a.m. The day has fully begun now. The streets are crowded with pilgrims flocking to the booths buying pigeons, lambs, and bitter herbs for the Passover supper. In the temple, the merchants are putting up their stalls again and cautiously beginning to do business. That troublemaker, Jesus, had come through earlier in the week shouting and calling them thieves. He overturned their tables and nearly caused a riot. What a strange man he was. In the great palace, Caiaphas prepared to leave for the temple. He had said the morning prayers, eaten breakfast, and now gave the command for his retinue of servants and friends to lead the way to the temple. But his mind was on something else. He, too, was thinking about that Galilean called Jesus. But he could never think about him very long without getting angry. He was nothing but a radical upstart troublemaker. From the very time he heard about this Jesus, Caiaphas had not liked him. Not many days earlier, he had told the Sanhedrin that it would be better for one man to die for the people rather than the whole nation to perish. And that political expediency, sacrifice to one for the sake of many, had led to the plot that had delivered Jesus into his hands. Jesus was a threat to the public order, a disturber of the peace, a menace to society, and there were even those who called him the King of the Jews. If the Romans got wind of that, there would be serious trouble. Yes, Jesus had to die, and the sooner the better. Caiaphas' anger turned to a smile. Soon enough, he would take care of Jesus once and for all. 11.15 a.m. 
The hot sun beat down on the city, not a cloud in the sky. The temperature neared 80 degrees, and still the crowd swelled. This was the final day, and the temple was picking up at every corner stall. The merchants were doing a great business. The animal traders figured to sell more than ever. Caiaphas meets with a few of his closest friends, but this was no prayer meeting. This was a top-secret strategy session. It was the final review of the plans to kill this man called Jesus. The discussion went back and forth. What was the best way to handle it? It was a ticklish problem. Much to Caiaphas' displeasure, Jesus had quite a following. Some had come down from Galilee. Others had simply heard about his miracles. At the very least, they had to be careful at Passover time. With the city crowded, the Romans were edgy. If word of their plot got out, the results would be disastrous. The big break had come on Wednesday. That was the day that some fellow named Judas had defected from Jesus and offered to help capture him. Actually, the whole affair had caught Caiaphas by surprise. He didn't know Judas, and frankly, judging from his appearance, he would just as soon keep his distance. Caiaphas wondered to himself, looking back, why Judas had come in secret, offering to lead the soldiers to Jesus at night. He gave no reason, and no one asked for one. It made no difference. Things were falling into place. And that's why Caiaphas was smiling as the noonday sun shone overhead. 5 o'clock p.m. The sun edges toward the west, still beating hot as the city slows down after the hectic day. Here and there, last-minute shoppers bought animals for the Passover meal or haggled over the price of vegetables in the marketplace. But the work was almost done. Outside the city, a little band of men prepared to enter for the Passover meal. Two had gone ahead to make sure everything was ready. In just a few minutes, this little group of 13 men would enter the city at the southeast corner, following the southern wall of the lower city, through another gate, and into the upper room of a borrowed home. There these men would share the evening together. By strange coincidence, the house was not far from the palace of Caiaphas. Now the force of events begins to take over. Caiaphas knows that events must come to a climax tonight. Little does he know the man he stalks eats the Passover with his disciples less than a quarter of a mile away from the palace. 8.30 p.m. Throughout the city, families gather to share the Passover meal. Fathers explain to sons the symbolism of the meal, the remembrance of God's deliverance of his people from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. Outside, the streets are not empty. They never are in Jerusalem, but mostly so. Here and there, one hears the chanting of prayers as the faithful celebrate. And in that borrowed house, Jesus meets with his disciples for the final time. Without warning, he suddenly announces, one of you shall be traded. Looks of shock, anger, and fear come on every face. Quickly, they wonder out loud, is it I? Only one does not wonder. Judas knows the truth, looks at Jesus, looks at Jesus in the eye and says, surely not I. Jesus answered, you yourself have said it. Apparently, no one else hears or understands. Judas stands excuses himself, and leaves. It's only a short walk up the road to the palace of Caiaphas. The leaders are waiting for him inside. Jesus makes his way to Caiaphas and says, I can take you to him tonight. 
And as quickly as he comes, Judas vanishes into the night. Caiaphas cannot go with the soldiers to take Jesus. That would be too obvious. Besides, something might go wrong. It could be a trap. No, he will stay and others will go. No sense getting involved too soon. And that was one reason Caiaphas had stayed high priest so long. He was clever, ruthless, brutal, and brilliant, always thinking of every angle. 11 o'clock p.m. By now the meal in the barn house is finished. Jesus leads the 11 men out of the city the way they came in, unnoticed in the darkness. Across the Kibrin Valley outside the city they went to the slopes of the Mount of Olives. This had always been one of Jesus' favorite spots for quiet meditation. Tonight in the Garden of Gethsemane he comes to pray. Meanwhile, Caiaphas waits anxiously. Why don't they have him yet? All in all, he just as soon get it over with. It's now nearly midnight, no sign of this Jesus, or of Judas for that matter. But there is nothing to do but wait. And so Caiaphas, high priest of the nation of Israel, the most important Jew in the land, waits nervously in his large house for something to happen. The day that had dawned so bright and hopeful only 18 hours ago seemed now to never end. 12.15 a.m. Friday morning. Now the city is sound asleep. Here and there, Roman soldiers stand guard. The lights are out. The animals are in their stalls. Everyone rests before the great day of Passover. Outside the city, events come to a climax. A parade of torches shines through the darkness as a group of men wind their way through the olive trees along the western slope of the mountain. They are heading for the garden where there was an oil press, a place called Gethsemane. Very soon they will have their man. They round the last tiny curve and make their way into the grove. There he is, Judas says, but it's too late. Jesus has already seen them. He knew the hour of his betrayal had come. There was a kiss, a whispered conversation, angry words to the disciples, and it was all over. The whole affair lasted less than five minutes. The men left the garden and made their way back down the slope, across the valley, and back into the city. They have their prisoner in tow. One o'clock a.m., Friday. Caiaphas hears the sound of voices in the courtyard, and in come the guards. And with him, the man from Galilee called Jesus. Caiaphas cannot help smiling. He has his man. Now the prearranged plan unfolds. The chief priests and elders retire into an inner room for the trial. Caiaphas knew he had to maintain every appearance of keeping the law. 1.15 a.m., Friday morning. Jesus stands in the middle of the room. Caiaphas and his men are seated all around him. The first witness comes in, but he obviously doesn't even know who Jesus is. Then another and yet another until over a dozen have testified. All tell of various crimes, but their words do nothing to implicate Jesus. Witnesses openly conflict with each other and their own testimonies. Some smell of wine. Others mispronounce the name of the accused. Caiaphas groans to himself. At this rate, it will take all night to pronounce a sentence. 2.05 a.m. Finally, two witnesses are found who manage to blurt out a useful story. 
They accused Jesus of saying he'll tear down the temple and build it up again in three days. It wasn't exactly what Jesus had said. He was speaking of his own body that would be raised from the dead. He wasn't leading an insurrection to tear down Herod's temple. But Caiaphas didn't care about the fine points. The accusation was close enough to something Jesus had said that at this late hour it would do just fine. Still, Caiaphas was not satisfied. The accusation wasn't really enough to put a man to death. And something else bothered him. Why hadn't this Jesus made any defense? Witness after witness had spoken against it. Was this man crazy? Did he not care? Finally, the strain of the hours, the plotting in secret, the anxious waiting took their toll, and Caiaphas stood up and asked the question that had been on his mind from the very first. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Time stopped. No one moved. The sleepy leader suddenly woke up. This was the great question, the one they'd all wondered about. Who was this man? Could he be? Was it possible? And this was the moment Jesus had been waiting for. He looked Caiaphas in the face and replied, It is as you say. From somewhere came a gasp. This man claimed to be the Son of God. The rumors were true. Jesus then added words they did not expect. Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. He was claiming to be God. Caiaphas had heard enough. He stood up, tore his clothes, and cried out, Blasphemy! Caiaphas turned to the assembly who were too shocked to move and said, What do you think? They hadn't expected that. After all, who knows who this man really is? Why shouldn't Caiaphas decide? But it's too late for that. Now they must say. As one man, they buried their doubts. But then first one, and then another said, He is guilty of death. Never mind that they didn't have the authority to carry out the sentence. Never mind that they weren't supposed to meet in the middle of the night. Never mind the false witnesses. This man must die. He is too dangerous to be alive. And so the deed was done. Caiaphas got what he wanted. At last he was rid of this troublemaker, Jesus. He turned to leave the room. It was now nearly 3 o'clock a.m. And he could get three hours sleep if he hurried. As he left, the others gathered around the unfortunate man and spit on him and beat him. And then time moved quickly. 6 a.m., Jesus is tried before the Sanhedrin. 6.30 a.m., he is brought to Pilate. 7.15 a.m., taken to Herod. 7.45 a.m., back to Pilate. 9 o'clock a.m., outside the city on the hill, shaped like a skull, the man called Jesus is crucified. 9.15 a.m., Caiaphas gets the news and smiles to himself. At last, I am rid of that You know something? Caiaphas is wrong. He was dead wrong. We would want to tell him, you're not done with him yet. You're going to see this guy one more time. In a 
Epaphras, and I can be prone to say, hey, wherever you are, can you hear me? You asked Jesus the right question. And Jesus gave you the true answer. And yet you would not believe it. But would you believe it now, Epaphras? Do you know who this man is now? Well, I think Epaphras today knows who it is, but it's too late. That's why I call this message so close, but not close enough. I hope you did not miss the irony in this story of Caiaphas. I mean, a week earlier when word had spread about how Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, the Sanhedrin actually got together to try to figure out how to handle this, quote, Jesus problem. I mean, the Jews didn't know what to do. They could not deny the signs that he'd done. They had seen Lazarus in the grave. He was dead, and now he was walking around. So they said, if we let it go on like this, everyone is going to believe in him. The Romans are going to come in. They're going to take over. They're going to take over our place. They're going to take over the nation, and we're going to be out of the job. Now, politicians, even religious politicians, always think the same way. They fear anything that upsets the status quo. And that's when Caiaphas uttered his most famous line. He said, it is better for you that one man should die for the people so that the whole nation should not perish. When John told the story in his gospel, he adds that Caiaphas said more than he knew because his statement was really a prophecy. His statement was the prophecy of the death of Christ, that the death of Christ, one man's death, would provide salvation for everybody who believed in him. See, in just one sentence, Caiaphas uncovered the heart of the gospel. You catch remember what he said? One man dies for the many. The innocent dies for the guilty. The just one dies for the unjust. The Son of God takes the place of guilty sinners. God pays the price with his Son's life. Jesus takes the punishment. Jesus suffered in your place. That's the heart of the gospel. If there is even one sin that Jesus did not pay for, or even one evil thought that he did not bear, if he did not bear all our sins, then there is absolutely no hope for you and me. But on the cross, he uttered those that Greek word, to tell us die. It is finished. He finished the work, paid in full, covered all of the sins, suffered so that we don't need to suffer for those sins. Better he should die for us than we should die for our own sins. You know, Caiaphas was so close to the truth but he wasn't close enough. He was a religious leader who should have known everything about Jesus from the Old Testament. I mean, 330 some prophecies he should have known as he studied his Torah about the coming Messiah. I guess one thing this story proves to me is that being a religious leader does not guarantee any degree of spiritual enlightenment. I mean, here was a church man who was so blinded by his hatred that he could not see who Jesus really was. 
I mean, he even spoke the truth about Jesus unknowingly and prophesied what Jesus would accomplish by his death. Now tonight, as I'm sharing these words with you, we are only a, a few weeks or so away from what we call Holy Week. And maybe there's no better time to ponder what happened to Caiaphas. And again, if we take somebody like Caiaphas, like I suggested about Judas, or we can talk about Barabbas next week, if we merely pity that person, then we miss the point of the story that I think Jesus would like to impress upon our heart. Caiaphas was extremely religious, but his religion blinded his eyes. The religion he followed was the religion that God revealed through Moses. Now, we don't have to argue that, that the Jews had drifted away from the perfection that came from Mount Sinai, that this is true, no one can deny. But it hardly matters because all of us, you and me, have drifted from the divine idea from time to time. And while we can sit around sometime and argue which church comes the closest to having the correct doctrine, there's not a denomination or a church that can claim perfection. See, in sending Jesus away to be crucified, Caiaphas thought he was doing God's will. Caiaphas thought he was doing what Moses would have done. Caiaphas thought he was following the law of God. He thought that he was doing the prudent thing by ridding the country of this miracle-working imposter who stirred up the people and invited Roman anger. Caiaphas thought he was following God in those early hours on Friday morning. And as the chief religious leader of the Jews, he was the blind leading the blind. But friends, don't let us think that we are somehow immune to that same mistake. Sometimes in our zeal to serve God, we may actually end up opposing him. Our only hope is to cast ourselves upon the Lord, admit our weakness, and pray for true enlightenment that comes from the Holy Spirit. That kind of leaves us with the question that the high priest asked the other members of the Sanhedrin that night after 2 o'clock on Friday. He said, what do you think? See, Caiaphas had every reason to come to the right answer, and somehow he missed it. He could have known the truth. In fact, he should have known the truth. Because one faithful night through, and the truth was standing right in front of him. See, that night... Jesus stood on trial before Caiaphas, only it wasn't Jesus who was on trial. It was Caiaphas. He stands exposed as a religious leader who feared what he did not understand and hated what he couldn't control, who condemned a man he could not intimidate. When he condemned Jesus, he condemned himself for sacrificing justice in the name of expediency. I look at this story as a solemn warning, especially to every, quote, religious person who hears these words. Whether you believe it or not, friends, Jesus is still a problem in this world. He is still on trial in every last single human heart. And every one of us must choose what we believe to be true about this man from Galilee. It's my prayer that we all take our stand with Jesus and the example of Caiaphas will not then have been given to us in vain.
as we gather our offerings.